So as Denise alluded to when we were, when she was sharing with the kids, we've been talking about the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is this statement of belief put together by the early church as a summary of what we believe, and it links us together and also with the church throughout history to help us to understand, and that's one of the reasons it's valued so much, that it's not just something we created here at Fruitland Covenant Church. It's not just something that the Evangelical Covenant Church came up with in the last 50 years, but it goes back nearly 2,000 years to the beginning of the church. It isn't just used in a few churches, but it's used by churches around the world of all different denominations as a way to link them together and say, this is what we believe. A summary statement of those things. It doesn't tell us everything, but what I'd like to say through this series is it provides us a guide to faithful reading. It kind of helps us know how to read the Bible. It helps us to know when we're reading wrong and when we're reading right to provide some guide rails as we're reading. But there are some parts of the creed that are a little perplexing. We dealt with one of those just a few weeks ago when we talked about this line, he descended into Hades. And now we come to this one, he ascended into heaven, which we heard about from the book of Acts there. It's not so much perplexing as to understand what exactly happened, but maybe to say, well, why is it there? Why is it included? Because to be honest, as I've been growing up in church and spent decades going to services and hearing things and preaching myself, I think, how often do we ever talk about the fact that Jesus ascended? It's not something that comes up very often. And we wonder why we should even pay attention to it. Why is it in the creed? One of the reasons is sometimes we wonder if we don't talk about it much because it's just really kind of an odd story. I mean, you hear that story in Acts and Jesus is gathered around with his disciples and they're asking questions about the kingdom and when it's going to come. And he says, well, it's not for you to know the times. And he says, then you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. It's like Jesus is talking, saying, oh, you're going to be witnesses for me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And all of a sudden, like Jesus has little rocket boosters on his feet and takes off. And I kind of imagine, well, it's like, does he like do the Superman pose? Does he just kind of like put his arms out? Does he kind of stand straight? And you say, well, this is, and then you think, well, the disciples are like, what's going on here? And you see him, it says they're like, they were looking intently up at the sky. They're like, what was that all about? Kind of like we're saying, well, what was that all about? What's the purpose of that? So it is, it's a weird story for one. The other is the Bible doesn't really talk much about the story. We have it here recorded at the beginning of Acts. It also shows up at the end of the Gospel of Luke, which Luke also wrote. So he wrote Luke and Acts. He wrote these two stories, and that's about the only two times that story is narrated. The other thing is we kind of wonder, well, okay, so he went up to the sky. What are the implications? And the other thing is that happens is we have the resurrection. We talked about that last week. We have the resurrection, and the ascension just kind of feels like part of that. Jesus died, then he raised from the dead, and then he went to be with God. So why should we pay attention to the ascension? Why do we bother to listen to it? And so Patrick Schreiner talks about this in one of his books. He talks, he says, one is the New Testament actually talks about it a lot. This word ascension doesn't show up, but the idea shows up. Jesus in John 16, 28 says, I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. And so we see this in a sense, 
even though it's a kind of a strange scene, the fact that Jesus was standing there and then he goes up, well, what is up? Up is where God is. And now we realize kind of in this, in our modern world, we understand like that the idea of up is a geographic space, but it's an image that helps us understand where God is. And so in, a, in the ancient world, there's kind of the belief what? Heaven or God's space is up. We're here on earth and the down space is the place of the dead. You know, I think even they understood in some sense that that's not the literal way to understand it. But that was a way to conceptualize things. And just as in the same way we use that kind of language, we say the sun sets in the West or the sun rises. Well, we've learned in school that while the sun isn't rising, what's happening? The earth is spinning, right? But we use that language in the same way heaven is up. And so when Luke narrates the story and says Jesus went up, it's saying he's fulfilled this truth that, God, that Jesus went to be with the Father. Or the passage we read from Ephesians where it says, talks about the power, God's power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And so that's the kind of language used throughout this New Testament is this picture of Jesus seated and reigning in power. We see it in the sermons of the early church, Acts 2. I'm going to read a little bit of it from Acts 2, verses, beginning at verse 33, or verse 32. It says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of him. And it says, exalted to the right hand. So exalted is another way of saying raised up or ascended to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Paul, or Peter's talking at the time of Pentecost where they're experiencing the Spirit. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for all your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so, if you read through the book of Acts, all these stories of the early church, there's story after story, and the language is about Jesus being ascended and sitting at the right hand. The other thing is we can think about is it's a hinge in the story. There's this point where we have Jesus on earth, and now we're moving to a new point in history. The other thing we realize, it's in the creeds. There's several other creeds, and every one of them that talks about the story of Jesus talks about His ascension. And then we can go on to practical implications. There's practical implications, which what we're going to spend the rest of the message on is understanding these practical implications of what it's all about. But to say the ascension, though we don't think about it a whole lot, really has a lot of importance. And so what I want to do is spend the rest of our time thinking about, why does it matter? Why do we bother to confess this? Why, when we say the Apostles' Creed, do we say, strip, put so much importance in this short little summary of faith, why do we say and bother to say, He ascended into heaven? What's that all about? So I want to share five things as we think about this. One is an important theological implication because it answers a question that many have been asking is, why does God the Father only raise His left hand? Because Jesus is sitting on His right. I know. All right. Is my mic on? Okay. Seriously, though, we're going to move on from that. But there are four, four, four implications, four key implications. And the first is, they have to do with this, this question. Jesus ascended, so what's he doing? 
I mean, you think, okay, well, Jesus left this earth. He, he got taken to the Father, but what's he doing there? And the first implication has to do with the function of Jesus as a priest. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And so we don't have time today, but if we were to look at the book of Hebrews, there's this long explanation, this long exploration of Jesus as a high priest. Jesus as the great priest before God, so that now he has ascended and he's in the temple of God, which is where the priests worked. And the priests had several functions. They offered sacrifices, but one of the primary functions of a priest was to mediate, to intercede, to act as a go-between between God and people between the people and God, between God and the people. And so as we think about that, one of the things that Jesus did was He offered a sacrifice, which was Himself on the cross, and He did that once for all. But then when He ascends, does He lose His bodily form? Does He become like a spirit? No, He becomes, He is raised as a human, He ascends as a human being, and He represents human beings before God. So he remains in his human form to intercede before God. So I like, and Beth Felker Jones says it this way. She says, the ascension means he has become one of us for keeps, that he represents our humanity right now, today, to the Father. The ascension means he has become one of us for keeps, that he represents our humanity right now, today, to the Father. So as we think about Jesus came and lived on earth as a human, And then he's ascended and he's seated at the right hand of God as a human being, representing us, representing you and you and you, all of us before God. Or as Patrick Schreiner says it, I like this, where he says, he said, this is a remarkable truth, that Jesus then, he sits at the right hand of the Father and advocates, mediates, and intercedes on behalf of his people. Jesus is not embarrassed by his people. He proudly represents his people as the God-man before the Father. Like the priests of old, he wears you as jewels on his breastplate. So what is Jesus doing? He's up, he's praying for us. And I know one of the things that means the most to me and that means much to you is when someone says what? I'll pray for you, right? So now we're talking about the Son of God, Jesus himself praying for us talks about it in Romans 8, 4. Who then is this who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is pleading prayers for you. And so in those moments when you're wondering, does anybody know what's going on in your life? When you have that moment of darkness, that moment of despair, that moment of wondering, what's happening and does anybody care? And you remember those words, I believe that He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It's a reminder that Jesus is there at the right hand of God. In other words, He's got His ear, doesn't He? Jesus isn't off in a distance. It doesn't say Jesus ascended into heaven and God put Him like out in the pole barn. Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand right there and the person at the right by your seat, can do what? Can whisper into your ear, has your attention. And so Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And not only that, 
because he's there, and that's the other role of the priest. The priest would go into the, the temple and sanctuary and they would put blood on the altar and as a way to purify and to make entrance for it. And so in Hebrews, he talks about it. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, because Jesus has ascended, we know that God's door is always open. We know that we can enter confidently into His presence with our prayers. Because maybe we're afraid, we say, well, I don't know if God wants to hear my prayers. I don't know because I had this really bad week. I don't know because I treated this other person this way this last week. I don't know I've had these bad thoughts, and so I'm not sure about entering and asking God for something. And what the ascension tells us is because of Jesus' death and because of ascension, our hearts have been cleansed and made pure, and we can enter into the presence of God. So not only is Jesus praying for us, but He's also inviting us to come and to pray. And those two things are guaranteed or taught to us, reminded of us by the ascension. So that's the first thing Jesus is doing. He's acting as our priest, interceding for us and making the way clean for us. Second thing that Jesus is doing, He's reigning as king. So Bible quiz. What Old Testament passage is quoted the most in the New Testament? Anyone want to take a guess? Genesis? Genesis? No, not Genesis. Anyone? It's from a psalm. No. Good guess. What? Be not afraid. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the most... Thomas was paying attention last week, but, <laughs> but that's, that's not the quote that I'm talking about. All right. Those of you who were, that, that was our reminder that last week, most common command in the Bible, but the quoted, most quoted passage from the Old Testament and the New Testament is Psalm 110. Psalm 110 says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor, like young men will coming for you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And it goes, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. But this, the Lord is, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Quoted, alluded to about 23 times in the New Testament. Not direct quotes always, but some sort of allusion, some sort of, but it's this picture of what? That Jesus is sitting at the right hand and doing what? He's reigning as king. Reigning as king over the whole universe. In other words, he's gone to rule over the universe. Now, we said earlier, when he went up, when he ascended, he ascended in what form? As a human. And he remains as a hu in human form, sitting at the right hand. So in other words, a human being is ruling over all of creation. Jesus, as a human being, is ruling over all of creation, which is, somebody said Genesis, the point of Genesis, the story of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, God makes Adam and Eve, and, and He gives them a task, and what's their task? To rule, which they fail to do. And now we have Jesus filling that rule as to reign over the universe. And it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What's one of the roles of the king? The role of the king is to protect his people and to rule over his enemies, which is the whole point of Ephesians 1, which we read earlier. 
This is what? He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So that language of far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So what, in that sentence, what things is Jesus not ruling over? I'll read it again. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Everything, right? I mean, there's, there's not something that's left out, but Jesus is ruling over everything. In other words, there's no sphere over which Christ does not reign. The ascension reminds us that when Jesus is seated at the right hand, there's nothing that is not under his power. There is nothing that is not under his control. And so we can be confident as we think about evil going on in the world, that whatever powers are on, that we look around the world and say, oh, I'm not so sure what's happening here. I see these wars. I see this famine. I see these floods. I see people treating people horribly. And I don't know. It feels like things are getting worse. It feels like the devil's winning. The ascension says no. It may look like that. It may feel like that, but that's not the truth because Jesus is seated above all rule and authority, everything, not only in this age and the age to come. And because Jesus rules over all things, it also means that there's no sphere of our life in which we're not called to obey. If Jesus rules over all things, it doesn't mean that like I've got my Jesus life here, and then I got this little part of my life that I get to decide what to do. If Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, ruling over all things, there's nowhere I can go and say, well, Jesus isn't in charge here. There's nowhere I can go and I can say, well, I don't have to listen to Jesus in this part of my life. But instead, everything is ordered under this confession that Jesus is Lord. So that's the second implication. First implication, he's the priest. He's interceding for us and invites us to come into the presence of God to pray. He's ruling as king, which means that the powers of evil are defeated and that we don't have to worry about them. And second, that we have to obey in all areas of our life. The third implication is has to do with our mission and calling as a church. And so this asks the question, we ask, what is Jesus doing in the first two questions? The third question asks, well, why did Jesus ascend? Well, he told us in John 16. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus went in order to do what? To send the Spirit. And he said it in the book of Acts. And so why did he send the Spirit? We're going to talk a whole lot. The Spirit comes up a whole lot next week. But, but what's the re reason he sent the Spirit? Back to Acts 1. He says, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. So Jesus' ascension means He sent the Spirit. Jesus went away to send the Spirit who will bring power so that we can witness to the world around us. So that we can tell people about the good news of Jesus. And we tell, Jesus, tell people about Jesus for several reasons. One is that second part of the line, if you remember, so the Apostles' Creed, it says, and He ascended into heaven 
And we use kind of the fancy language, and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And then it goes out and says what? And from thence he shall do what? Come to judge the quick and the dead. Quick meaning the living, not the fast people. I don't... Again, old language, language that's kind of a little bit out of date. But so, so part of our reason for witnessing is something we maybe not like to talk about is the reality of the judgment, that Jesus, Jesus who went away will also come back one day to judge. And the judgment will be based on what? Allegiance, faith, trust in Christ. And so our call is to let people know about Jesus. The fact that He's ascended means also that the same Jesus who went away is the same Jesus who's coming back. And that's what the angels told the men. He says, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up? The same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way. This same Jesus who went up is also going to come back. And what we learn in the rest of the story is that He's coming back to judge. And so, but He went up, He sent the Spirit so that we have the power of the Spirit so we can tell people about Jesus. So that when He comes back, they know who He is. So we can announce good news. We can preach forgiveness. So the ascension reminds us of that, that we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. The ascension reminds us that we have a call to share the good news of Jesus. That He's not staying seated at the right hand of the Father forever, but one day He will come back to judge. And so we have an obligation, a calling as His children, as His subjects, as His people to go and to share the good news of Jesus with people. It may mean traveling to the far side of the world. It may mean taking a walk across the room. But whatever it is, it's a way to say, we have us called to preach the good news of Jesus, to share who He is and to proclaim forgiveness of sins. And so the ascension reminds us of that truth that we're called to do that. But related to that is when Jesus comes back, it's not simply judgment, but it's a fulfillment of this. And so in Revelation 21, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, and this is a picture of God when he comes back, when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. Looks, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Jesus as king means him coming again, and the end will be as he intends. That all things will be made right. So the fact that Jesus ascended also ought to give us hope. Because the one who is the king, the one who reigns over all powers and all authorities, not only in this age and the age to come, is the one who's coming back. And he's coming back to judge, but then he's also coming back to do what? To make all things right. To wipe away every tear. To make it where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more mourning. And also, that language of Revelation 21, and he will be their God and they will be his people. He will be with them. And so he's not just staying away, but he's coming back and we will be with God. And so this word of the ascension that he ascended into heaven is also a word of hope. So we're to look up as we think about the ascension. We look up and we realize that Jesus is there as our priest and as our king. That he's there praying for us and making the way so that we can enter into the presence of God and pray. He's there as the king, reigning and ruling over all things. 
And so we don't have to be afraid of the powers and the principalities. We don't have to be concerned that God is on the losing side, but instead we can know we are on the winning side. He's there reigning as king, reminding us that all of our life is under his authority. But we can also look ahead and remind ourselves of the mission and the calling we have. That we have a call to share the good news of Jesus. That King Jesus calls us to do this and he's ascended, and when He ascended, He sent the Spirit to give us the power to share the good news of Jesus with people. And the fact that He ascended also gives us hope. The hope, the reminder that He's coming back, and when He comes back, He will make all things right and restore all things. So as we consider His ascension, let us look up let us look ahead to the one who is our priest, the one who is our king, the one who is coming again, and the one who will make all things new and all things right. Amen.